This is Jan Cox, talk number 2,520, recorded May 3rd, 2000. All right, if you're going to do that, where's the applause sign? <laughs> before I read what I wrote for tonight, which I'll do before I make my spontaneous combustible comments, I was looking through some stuff that was laying around, and I apparently, some things I'd written, this was from 10 or 15 years ago, and apparently I've read you one version of it, maybe. I could make it a challenge and see who remembers. I can read it and say, does this sound familiar? And see who goes, oh yeah, I remember that. But I won't do that. I rewrote some of them based upon my present change in the terminology and the modeling of what I have been, talk have been talking about. But I thought I would first read this. It was originally something years ago. I thought, what would I name this if I was going to give it a public name? <laughs> now, I think I've done it, as I said once or twice before. But anyway, here is if not a completely new batch to your hearing, a revised edition of some that you may have heard. Some names I once momentarily considered for this sort of activity. I know a secret. <laughs> the promotion of thought to the big leagues. <laughs> How to understand things without comparing them. How to understand things without compounding them. How to understand things without corrupting them. And how to understand things without your understanding mucking them all up. The home of Nitro Info. Think or die. Grow or die. Change or die. Search or die. Do something or die. <laughs> If it ain't broke, break it. <laughs> the radical readjustment of thought. Life on Earth, an aerial view. Life on Earth, an insurrectionist view. For they're hard to entertain. The activity with no clear purpose. Or better still, the purpose with no clear purpose. No metaphors for us, we're driving. <laughs> <laughs> or, metaphors are us. <laughs> the struggle that is both its own opposition and outcome. <coughs> the rejuvenation of words. The anecdote for all that is serious, stressful, pressing, and important. Ours that is known amongst the silly, the anecdote for everything. The attempt to change in spite of the fact that everyone already says that you can. <laughs> well, good. I started to say that this was my favorite, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to sway you. Hey, get out of my room. Oh, it's your room. No, I mean our room. And lastly, the non-fancy-antsy explanation of life. <laughs> or, for those of you of more academic leanings, audacious recognitious. <laughs>
All right, here's uh, my little items for the night. See if I can read them before I start talking. For many years, one man thought of his aim in all of this as being to bring his normally out-of-control thoughts under control. Then one day it suddenly hit him that his thoughts were not out of control, but are clearly under control. Under their own control. <laughs> he now wonders how he came to ever think of his thoughts as being his, when they are obviously a self-supervised activity. On the path between here and there, a man must eventually realize that the path consists primarily of a wild dog yapping on about how that wild dog must be brought under control. <laughs> I forgot to warn you, I have evidently today was in a quite simplistic mood. <laughs> I think there are a dearth, or is a dearth, of metaphors and allegories, but I could be wrong, or I could just mean that tropically. <laughs> Page two, there is no consciousness, there is just thoughts. There is no being asleep, there is just thoughts. There is no being awake, there is just thoughts. There is no secret, there is just thoughts. No matter what dreams, opinions, theories, convictions, knowledge, and certainty you have, they are all just thoughts. You have your stomach and it is of awakened stomach mind. You have your lungs, and they are of enlightened lung mind. I assume everyone catches that I am doing currently a takeoff on Buddha mind. Your brain in general is of liberated brain mind. Only the thought area of the brain is not naturally awake and enlightened, and it is only not so by virtue of it being able to think about whether it is. Combined with a lack of natural inclination to realize this simple fact. Too simple. You can't see your feet while standing on them. Everyone knows this. And your eyeball can't turn around and look at itself. Everyone knows this also. But what only a few ever realize is that thoughts cannot think about themselves in any way, from any angle, without what they do still being nothing but thoughts. Nothing but themselves. When thoughts think about being enlightened rather than being asleep, they have merely replaced one thought with another thought of the same value and significance. Jump out of a plane over the middle of an ocean and you'll wake up. That is, your thoughts about being awake or asleep will cease to trouble you. <laughs> clearly, such a clearly such a tax seems too severe. So here's another approach. You catch your dog running wild again and you holler out encouragement for him to do so. You do not concern yourself at all with trying to restrain him. You forget even that you ever tried. Then when you become somewhat experienced in this, cultivate an attitude of total, and may I say good-natured, indifference toward whatever the dog as, does as per his own nature. I couldn't resist putting in, if I may say so good-natured, because as I have stressed, and as is the literal definition of indifference, what can I tell you? It's indifferent. But I have found, and I would think it has some pertinence to everyone, the attempt to be 
indifferent, even if you take to heart my exhortation, my encouragement that you try and cultivate, that that is the only proper attitude toward what goes on inside of one's head. As long as you are concerned over the word indifference, as long as you are simply attempting it rather than realizing what it means, you end up thinking about indifference. It seems to me that at that level, indifference has a certain feeling to it, a certain hardness, a certain coldness, as opposed to what people normally, people's normal attitude toward what goes on in them, they would claim that they have some feeling about it. And so even the word indifferent, it seems to me most people initially want to take as having a certain, no matter how slight, a certain edge to it, a certain bias, that if you're going to be indifferent, that that must be some sort of cover word for at least slightly pissed, <laughs> slightly annoyed. And you're just covering up by feigning or by using the cover word of, well, I'm indifferent. But you can't really imagine someone saying, well, I'm indifferent. You can't really hear them, can you, saying it with total indifference. So that's why I threw in when I said that once you had learned, that sentence didn't seem to be clear now that I read it. But I was saying that one view of the running dog is to encourage it. And I hate to go into this in great detail because then you think about it when you try to do it, but that's, as you know by now, that's the only way I know how to do it unless I can learn how to send out those mystical emanations from my fingers. And of course, if I would, I'd say, I'm going to do it to me. <laughs> which didn't sound all that savory, but we'll let that go. <laughs> I'm on the lookout for a girlfriend, so we won't. <laughs> there is a way, rather than, let me put it to you this way. I knew a guy, and he came up with this approach, that all of his life, he, like everyone else, uh, pursues this kind of goal, under whatever the verbal description be, no matter what so-called system they may align themselves with, they are attempting to reel in, to bring under some control their consciousness, their mind, their thoughts. In the belief, not incorrect, that doing such gives a whole new understanding of what life is, a whole new understanding of what you are. If you can be, in a sense, as I used to put it, conscious, without the necessary instant support of thought. There is no, as far as I'm concerned, no more operative definition or description of being enlightened, being awake. And so you're continually, this guy said, he felt continually engaged in an attempted restraint of this wild dog, as I have been wont to call it for the last few weeks, to try and restrain it, to reel it in, to tell it to heal. Just the thing of, that you catch yourself and you think, well, God damn, there it is again. I'm back asleep. I've lost the thread of it. I'm Might as well be in a daydream. Might as well be hypnotized. Rather than that, to me or to him, that is a scolding of oneself and, at least indirectly, the wild dog. So shaking the fist like, God damn it. His view was, after years and years and years and years and years, he said, of trying it, 
And uh, being the charitable, especially when it was directed toward him, being the charitable sort he was, he said he had only experienced, I believe he called it, limited success. <laughs> and need I tell you the look on his face when he said it. So he said that he then developed a new uh, approach, that he'd come to his senses, so to speak, realize that I have been completely out of town, I have been completely out of my mind, I don't know where I've been, consciousness is a joke. But here I am back, and rather than railing at his condition, he would cheer it on. And here's why I hesitate to put words, but I gotta tell you something. But it's like he would go, you know, run you wild hearty beast, you know, <laughs> have at it. What a boy. <laughs> rather than any feeling of criticism toward it, it was like that he'd become its cheering section. Well, you don't have to go overboard with it. I think I understand what he meant. But it was, it's to do anything. See, it's an attempt to bring yourself into a position where you can cultivate an indifferent attitude. So rather than being on one side of the or the other, the subject, and everyone's always on the side of trying to reel this in. See, people do not go over the last four or 5,000 years up until today. They do not put themselves under the confined or in the confined environment of a monastery or a Zen school or wherever and to sit and meditate, sit still and try and calm the mind for eight hours a day. People do that. But see, his view was you would sit down, if we were going to start there, would sit and you would try and run your mind faster. Every time I, you know, I bring this up every decade or so, and I never see any great favorable response. Maybe you're just hiding it. It's the method, I think at one time I called, or at least I did to myself. The method is this, helping yourself the way you're going. I just remembered I stole that from a man I used to know who was in and out of jail constantly. He was a petty criminal. <laughs> And when you'd see someone else engaged in some, as he called it, petty crime, which was always funny for him to say it, but anyway, the kind of thing would obviously get someone, the chances are they're going to end up in jail again. Just over nothing. You know, like shoplifting. He would look at people, he would comment on them, he'd say, well, all he's doing is helping himself the way he's going. Maybe that's why you, maybe only I, and he appreciated it, and I wonder whether he did. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying is cheering on of your condition. It's like catching yourself asleep and go, have at it. <laughs> Run, you wild, you hearty devil, you. Go get him. I repeat for a third time. Uh, if you can hear anything to that and then try and find a way, which by now surely you can do it, find a way to try and execute that with as little talk to yourself about it as possible. Because you can just sort of feel it. It's like a silent cheer. Like, go to it. Run. Keep it up. Why not? That seemed to be his attitude. <laughs> but then what I was saying at the end was that once you get some experience with that, was then, rather than cheering it on, as opposed to criticizing it and attempting to 
unsuccessfully, at least on a permanent basis, to heal it, to bring it under control. And then if you, for a sufficient length of time to where you understand it in a different way, is to cheer it on. In other words, you're letting it go. But I had to say something like cheer it on as opposed to the feeling of, ah, oh, there it was again. <laughs> God, I've got to stop this. I have got to be able. I know I can, in a sense, still my thoughts right now. Do whatever trick you like, whatever term you may have. The world's been full of them. You try and self-remember, self-observe, be mindful, be vigilant, be on alert. Rather than that, the other attitude is, well, screw it. Just have at it. Whatever's going on in my head, which you know what it is, is just bravo, carry on. But then once you understand and once you've derived your own, shall we say, experiential lesson from that is then cultivate total and if I may say so good-natured indifference and the reason I assume you see now that I threw in what is literally an unnecessary adjective modifier to indifferent but truthfully come to think of it any modifier <laughs> is superfluous <laughs> total indifference nah partial indifference nah my god it's if you're going to be indifferent, go all the way. Oh, okay. But then I wanted to throw in, that's why I took this sidetrack, good-natured, as opposed to that indifference is some feigned cover-up for a failure. Because we all know kids, some kid can try to do something new, learn how to do some new task, and keep failing and failing, can't get, you know, screw A stuck in bolt B, it keeps on and on and on. And then somebody comes by and says, would you give up? Did you ever do it? And they go, I lost interest in it. <laughs> no, I didn't want to play with that anymore. Real indifference, may I say, or point out, based on your own experience, you can check with yourself. True indifference is, at the very least, a rare bird. And I may be overstating it. Because I said, it is normally a biased, a biased nest that people are attempting to camouflage. And as you know by now, no form of camouflage, no form of misdirection will aid you in this sort of thing. The only thing that what I keep trying to do more and more is all it, the only thing that's ever gonna finally work on you is bluntness. <laughs> It's sad but true. No, it's not. It's happy but true. No, it's sad but happy. No, it's... Page three. No matter how sincere or intelligent, a man trying to wake up is a voice calling out to a desired party, not realizing that it is the party desired. How much blunder can it be? This, in part, is what drives men to seek out and listen to the voices of other men regarding the subject of awakening. As long as you don't realize that your voice is in search of itself, you will continue to believe that the voice you desire is somewhere outside of you. I don't know how much simpler it can be. That's the only reason. Again, I was being, leaving you room to move around, but now I'll go ahead and fill it up. And I said it's in part. It is the reason. It's the only reason 
And it's no one's fault, it's no one's stupid. That's not the case because everyone, including me, we're all stupid. There's nowhere to start. God knows how Adam, my proverbial first, God knows how the first person ever did this. I'd like to shake his hands if he didn't smell so bad after all these years. But whoever it was, that, that is the only feat I know of. That is the only person that I might walk across the room to say, was it really you? Or maybe just call out to him, but at any rate, that is a feat. The rest of it is number toes. But that is why, that is why people listen to someone else. And in the beginning, it seems you have to. I know of no other way. A book, and then, hope, and then usually people, if they're sincerely wired up to be attracted to this, then they want to seek out a living person. Well, that's not true. They want to seek out someone who claimed to have known a living person. <laughs> they don't really want to know the person. They just want to go, damn, you mean he died last year? But you knew him. Okay, well, I'll latch on to you. Now, somebody now you know that's the way that one goes. But people, there's no choice, as, as I said, as far as I can see, that you seek out the information outside of yourself. It always seems to be proper in anything other than involved with this kind of activity, that it seems the only approach if you're going to learn anything, accounting, mathematics, physics, house painting, AC repair, that you go to someone and say, teach me about it, I know nothing about it, I'm interested. The only reason that people go to someone else, be it a book or live human, to go to another person seeking their voice, seeking their words about what is this thing about man is not fully conscious or is not conscious in a way in which he could be and that his view of himself in life is torted, skewed, shadowy, biased. Tell me about it and tell me what I can do. The only reason we go do that is the voice that is saying, tell me what to do, that voice is looking for itself. But as long as you don't know that, what are you gonna do? What's the only thing that a human will do after that? If it's not in me, and people do not even start out considering that possibility. It seems to be a fait accompli. That's beyond that. No one thinks about it. No one ever reads a book. No one ever reads a line. People wired up genetically already to be attracted to this sort of activity. Whatever their first book was, my archetypical example that they read somewhere, that although man believes he is fully conscious, he is not, he is in fact lives in something resembling a dream, but through certain known efforts he can fully awaken. And you read that. You go, aha! That's what I've been looking for. That's it. Now I know what to do. And lay down the book and go home, get in a closet by themselves, and turn, <laughs> and turn their own thinking on itself. Turn the mind on itself. Turn consciousness onto itself directly. No one ever does that. The first thing they do is close their turn back to the cover of the book to see who wrote this book. Then look at the copyright. Is he still alive? Where can I find him? Who knows about this? 
And see, right there, you're finally, as far as you're concerned, you're finally on the right track. When in fact, what you've done is immediately stepped onto the incorrect path. You understand I'm saying that it's somewhere between theoretical and metaphorical because I repeat, I don't know, I have no idea how anyone could do otherwise. But I'm trying to get you to consider that even now, after all of these years or whatever length of time you've been interested in it, you look somewhere else. You look outside of you for one simple reason. Because you don't realize that the thing that's looking is looking for itself and it's obviously in you. If it doesn't know that, never even considers it, that doesn't even, doesn't matter, it can consider it. Somebody can tell it, well, what you're looking for is in you. Okay, okay, tell me more. Where, where is it exactly? Well, it's in you. Oh, that's heavy. Wait a minute. Can I buy you a coffee? Okay, well, how do I find it? The thoughts of the brain can look at other activities of the body almost as though an outside observer, which is directly responsible for man's increasing good health and longevity. But when thoughts try to turn their attention to themselves, they instantly and unwittingly fall into a delusion in which they do seem to be looking at themselves. The delusion consists in thoughts now creating and accepting the impression that there is someone or something other than themselves in the head doing the observing of them. I push myself up against the kitchen cabinet, put a butcher knife to my throat a few hours ago and said, can you make it any simpler? <laughs> so while still not removing the threat from my throat, I glanced at this and reread it and realized when I read this aloud, I will think that surely could have been a shorter sentence. <laughs> And that was enough to at least get me to, I eased off on the grip and I so I could get my breath. <sighs> but yet I've said it that simple before. I thought that if I wanted somewhat more of a detail of the simplicity, that perhaps it would help and you wouldn't notice. Because you hadn't realized how easy it is to trick thoughts. You can say, all right, listen, if that was too complex, <laughs> let me, I have a simplified version here that I wrote for you. And your mind and your thoughts will go, oh, great. <laughs> and they'll lay down one page and pull out a stack of three or four and say, well, I was afraid that perhaps this would sound too complex. And so I, I wrote a more detailed breakdown to help explain in a more simplistic way the basic simplicity of this, which may strike you as too complex. <laughs> Let me do it again. I mean, all of this is obvious, believe it or not. Everyone in the world knows this. Every sane, all the six billion people, if they were interested enough for 30 or 40 seconds, I could make them say, yeah, I know that. And as always, of course, then their attitude would be, so what? What's the point? <laughs> the thoughts of the brain can look at other activities of the body as though the thoughts, that is, are an outside observer. Now, I don't know that anybody's ever put it that way, but everyone knows that. That is the only way that we have manipulated our environment. I use an example. I point out that this is the 
This is directly responsible for the fact of our increasing good health. It's only that we have thoughts that could look at the body throughout the years and people look down and they got toes turning funny colors and somebody finally figured out cold, extreme prolonged cold calls that. <laughs> everything that we know about the body, everything we know about medicine and the science and everything else outside of ourselves, but I thought specifically I, it might help if you looked at it that way, that thoughts can look at the rest of the body almost in an objective manner, certainly approaching objective. That's all medicine is. Everything we know about the human body, of course, is from human thoughts looking at it, and thoughts are separate from the toe, and then once we are able to perform surgery without killing people, thoughts are separate from being for a surgeon to be able to open up and look in there, and his thoughts go, my God, just like in med school, it is a stomach. Well, let's see what's going on in there. It's only thoughts. It's only through thoughts that we have medicine and knowledge of the body, as we call it. And so it, when it is looking at other parts of the body, the brain is not looking, attempting to look directly at the cortical area of itself. Thoughts are looking at other parts of the body. They can operate in a way uh, that approaches an outside objective observer. But then when thoughts attempt to turn their attention on themselves, something happens that men never realize. Neurologists, psychiatrists, psychologists, ordinary people never ever realize it. And all it is is being asleep. Just mystics came up with another name for it, and I can't see that many of them ever fully understood what it was. When thoughts turn their attention on themselves, something immediately happens. It's happened to you and me, and I don't know the billions of times, trillions of times, and it goes on constantly. It's just and I'm speaking now about people attempting to awaken, achieve enlightenment, experience the great liberation, etc., to change their state of mind, their condition of consciousness. Anyone actively, sincerely engaged in it is going through a switching back and forth of what I called in this particular paper a delusion. When thoughts attempt to turn their attention on themselves instantly, an illusion or delusion, they fall into a delusion. And you do it continually. If you're sincerely attempting to observe, to remember, to be mindful, to reel in the dog, every time that you catch yourself back asleep, back in your old condition, every time you do that, the delusion appears. Because as soon as you do that, Thoughts are attempting to look at themselves, no matter what you call it, and they immediately fall into this delusion that consists of thoughts now creating the sensation. And there's nobody but them. There's nowhere to look. The thoughts are creating the sensation that they have gone from being this single entity. They have gone from being themselves, which if you're not trying to do this, they never think about themselves. When you're asleep, that's what being asleep is from the classical mystical view. Being asleep is being in a condition when you don't know you're asleep. Because if you're aware, well, damn, I was asleep again, then at least you're not fast asleep. But here's what happens that it takes evidently a lifetime or more for people to ever realize, if ever, that when you do that, all that's happened is thoughts have created the illusion, the delusion immediately 
that now someone else is doing them. Every time I try to do it, it sounds viscid, no matter what approach I take. And all you can do is see it. I can talk about it forever. I thought about it for damn near ever. <laughs> Looked right at it. Thought more about it. Wrote more papers about it. Thought more about it. Thoughts rename themselves. Well, a person could not be more asleep, more deluded. One of the few people like us. You could not be more deluded, more asleep, more confused, more misguided if you tried than when you are thinking anything about, I have got to blah, blah, blah. I have got to be more alert. I have got to be more mindful. I have got to exercise some more control over this wild dog. It is not possible. You could not willfully put yourself in a worse position. Ah, put yourself in a more, may I say, absurd, forget worse. There is no worse with sleep. It's natural, it's normal. But you could not be in a more absurd position than to be thinking at any moment, I have got to stop this. Or I have got to start doing so-and-so. All you got to do, I hear I go saying all you've got to do. <laughs> all you've got to do, but you've got to find how to do it. It's a feel, it's an experience, is ask yourself, who is saying that? <coughs> of course, an ordinary weekend, dilettante would be mystic, goes lamb. Well, if you're the, well, see, after that, there, there's an infinite number of punchlines I can start making up. I can make it sound like, you know, some Zen master and some young monk, and it goes on and on, I can keep making up answers. That he says, who is that that says you want to be awake, or that you're not awake, or that you can't make any progress, that you keep going back to sleep? Who is it in you saying that? And the monk says, well, it's me. <laughs> and after that, surely by now you can, truly. I believe, I don't think infinite is overstating it. I could come up with an endless stream of punchlines to that. But they're all the same thing. Of course, the real punchline is, he, you know, the Zen monk or whoever it is, the guy that does know what he's doing, tells the other guy, when the other guy says, I need help, or why can't I more awake? Uh, why can't I do more? And he says, well, tell me this, who is it in you that just said that, that's, that's asking why you can't do more? That is, if we lived in a better universe, poetically speaking, that is when you're supposed to go, mind got. I don't know how Zen masters speak German, but mind got, I got it. Of course, if it's really mind got, you don't say I got it after that. <laughs> it's mine got, and if you start seeing a thing, you realize, that's what's had me all this time. <laughs> I was about to comment on it. I was about to comment on being awake. Let me go back and read, reread that sentence. 
Now that thoughts can look at other activities of the body, blah, 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 as though they were an objective outside observer. Truly. Think about it. I mean, you don't have to be a doctor. That you can look at your body when you're concerned about something. Uh, is this a spring or have I broken something or is this cut bad enough to go to the emergency room? Your thoughts, being a sane, fairly experienced, reasonably intelligent person, your thoughts can look at your body, something going on, and treat it almost as though it is an outside observer. Your foot cannot diagnose itself. Your foot cannot look down at itself and go, well, you may have a broken toe. But even if it is, can you do anything about a broken toe? You can't ask your foot. The foot doesn't ask itself. If it wasn't for thoughts, and you did break your toe, you just limp for a while. Thoughts can look at it and feel separate from it, which is the only way it can manipulate. It's the only way that we have medicine in the same way as I pointed out. It's the only way we have any so-called technology. Is thoughts make us feel separate without any doubt from the environment. If we did not feel that way, it would never occur to us to try and change the environment, just as though, just as with any other creature on this planet, any other sentient creature moving around, they never, there's no sign nobody tries to change the environment. They go to where the environment suits them, where the environment is appropriate. But when the thoughts go from looking at the foot to trying to look at themselves, trying to reflect on themselves, philosophers, psychologists, psychiatrists, everyone has fallen into this for 5,000 years. Most mystics fall into it and never realize it. But at least people that the so-called classical mystical tradition, at least there are plenty of people, obviously, who turn sincere attention to try and have thoughts reflect on themselves. And tried with more, a certain kind of vigor that is lacking in ordinary people, a certain kind of passion. But even they, I see a, a, an overall lack that, of understanding that even their own attempts to turn thoughts on themselves, that they ever understand what takes place. And this is, again, it's as simple as hell. It's only taken me 45 minutes to muck it all up again. When thoughts turn their attention on themselves, when a person, let's take it down to the level of the kinds of our sorts of people, Whatever discipline a person's involved with, attempting to calm the mind, attempting to be mindful, attempting to remember themselves, attempting to remember them, some chant, whatever they're doing, when they remember to do it, they feel like, ah, well, at least now I'm back on track. Now I'm back doing that which I should do. I'm back on course right now. They are not. I don't know how you get around that. You have to start there. But how can you live, just speaking generically, but how can they live 60 or 70 years and nothing change and them not ever question the fact they never realize that as soon as they go, ah, well, I'm back, oh, there I was dozing off. There I was completely swamped by life, overtaken by words, overtaken by just the mechanical running of my own cortical area of my brain. They don't realize that as soon as they did that, the feeling is, well, at least I've done something 
of a positive nature. At least I'm back to where I should be, a minimal, a minimally operating mystic should be. At least I'm back to realizing that I was not awake just now. So at least I'm back there, I'm doing something. But they don't realize that by getting back in that position, by being back in the condition wherein they go, ah, well, at least now I'm aware of myself. I am conscious of me. They don't realize what's happened. It is literally, it's not mystical, it is a literal delusion. You don't have two brains. You don't have two minds. You do not think two things. There is not you and then thoughts that are out of your control. When your thoughts are out of control, there is no you. See, when you're asleep, in a sense, that's why I say everybody knows what's going on in the world. When you're asleep, you're not deluded. <laughs> this, well, good. I was going to say, well, it's going, if you don't watch it, it begin to sound even more convoluted. But when you're fast asleep, no problem. When you're fast asleep, in a sense, you're not asleep in the mystical sense. Now, fuck the mystical sense. You're not asleep in your sense because you don't know you are. So when you go, oh, what ho? Now, if you talk that way to yourself, and you go, what ho? Hold on here. All right. Now, the feeling is there's no doubt. You know I'm not making fun of it because I spent a large part of my life involved with doing that over and over and over and over. And you, you can still do it. But it's, ah. Ah, okay. All right, now. All right, hold on here a second. Everything was completely out of control. I was a poster boy right then for being asleep. Jesus. Okay. Let's get ourselves together. There's the feeling that you, what I, the words I just did, that you are thinking all this about other activity in you. And we know it's not activity of the kidneys or the colon or the ever popular penile gland. Where's the penile gland? Oh, never mind. It's thoughts talking about themselves. Except now, it's thoughts have taken on you guys. And I revive it for you. You know what it's like? I still, it continues to come back to my mind. It's still in the middle of the night. You hear noise in your house, in the dark, and you jump up, and there's something. Somebody's rambling around in your house, an intruder. <laughs> And you suddenly confront him, and you holler, thief! And he begins to shine his light around going, where, 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 where? <laughs> of course, when you're really in a good mystical mood, I used to also describe it as, he not only begins to shout, where, where, but he puts his arm like around your shoulder. <laughs> the point is, it's like, okay, buddy, hey, where? We'll get that. Who is it? And you never notice it. Of course, that is really an exaggeration. I can be, I can be much more blunt. That is an illusion. The thief creates the illusion, or you create the illusion of the thief. You're going to find your own way of looking at whichever one works. Because there is no two of you. There is no you and your out-of-control mind. I guess another year, I don't know, six months, Sometime of doing this, I guess even I will weary of it and come up with a whole new approach. I'm, you can never say. You know, I have people still write me, and I have throughout the years. And I get letters 
people that they'll re recount you know, all the famous guru or gurus that they've studied with and the times where they spent in this and that monastery or commune. And they'll say, in spite of all their sincere efforts and all their work and being here and there and devoting their life to it, they'll say, but the truth is, I am still not awake. <sighs> and some of them even, I guess there's... I don't know how you know it, but it is not uncommon in the history of some of the better known so-called mystical masters and gurus throughout history that there are these scenes, be they apocryphal or not, but they are repeated uh, as being truthful, but scenes wherein uh, ex-guru or great mystic on his deathbed turns around to whoever's there as students and makes some comment about, you know, God, I hate to leave you in such a disreputable state. The point is, the people bring up, and they bring up these stories to me, which I was familiar with, but the people who say that they, after all their efforts and studying here and there, that they're still not awake, and then a few of them throughout the years will even bring up such stories like, every time I think about this, I think about such and such story, about such and such person I heard, wherein when he died, the teacher himself, he looked around at his students and said something like, you know, forgive me for leaving you in such a poor condition or leaving you unfinished or not doing better. There's only one reason, if I may call it a reason, which is a joke, I gotta call it something, either a reason or a tire tool. <laughs> only one reason a person would be involved with this over a period of time and not ever achieve anything. There's only one reason, in other words, that they would feel as though, as exemplified by these letter writers, that they had devoted their life or large chunks of their life with no success. There's only one reason that would happen. <laughs> and that is that you do not take, and I've been calling it a voice, you know what I mean, the, the voice, the thoughts in you, but the voice in you that wants to awaken. Even if the voice says, I'm not even sure what it is anymore. I'm not even sure that my experience is quality. I just don't know, but by God, I still want it. I still want it. There's something in me that tells me I still want it. The only way that you can fail is if you fail to finally turn around inside of you. You can only do it in the privacy of your own privilege, your own self. It's to turn around and look, and so to speak, study. But at least you turn and look it, what it is saying that. I'm saying what it is, where it is, who it is, what it is, where it is, why it is, what I leave out. <laughs> and it's really, I, I even hate to put a word on it, but that's not a bad, it's as simple as I know to put it, is you just turn and look of what is it in me saying that? Where is it? Who is it? Now I repeat, thoughts, once you do that to them, which is them doing it to themselves, which is a joke, you go, well, all right, who is it wanting to awaken? That's the question. And then your thoughts go, well, me. And you think, well, wait a minute, where were you just a second ago when I said, who is it wants to awaken? <laughs> and they go, well, I was here. Does anybody ever get it? Well, you know, for several years, I used as one of my running metaphors and 
<laughs> just before I moved into the metaphysical or metaphorical Orient Express was the ventriloquist and the dummy. <laughs> Here's what it amounts to, is you have a ventriloquist treating this dummy on his knee with his hand up its back. The ventriloquist treats the dummy literally as though he is another person. <laughs> Which, if you really get good, I tried it on you one night, if you remember, but if you get really good, I like it. In fact, the variation of that, the dummy, <laughs> the dummy, believe it or not, is the one actually working the man. And yet the man thinks, you like that? Scratch it. That's not it. I just wanted to see if you'd go for it. <laughs> but as good as I, or it pleases me thus far, unless I can beat it, that that is a literal, a physical picture of it. And I know that you tend to, if you don't see it, you, to say the least, you tend to take it as being an allegory, and it's not. It is a ventriloquist that everything that's going on, he is doing it. And the reason I say that I, it, I, it should be simpler than that is there's not actually two people. That's the illusion. I don't think... It, Enough of you have really pursued that picture because I found great profit in it originally when it first hit me. It is a ventriloquist. You know how ventriloquist, you know, he's doing the setup lines or they're engaged in conversations. What makes the humor? We're assuming it's a comedy act. <laughs> well, I suddenly thought, I was wondering, do I, do I have to add the modifier or the specification of comedy act? And I thought, well, how many, like, philosopher acts do you see of a, you know, <laughs> of a world-famous philosopher coming out with a ventriloquist or a physicist? <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. You come up to a cosmologist, and he comes out and he says, you know, my name's Dr. So-and-so, and this is my friend, Willie Bob. And he says, say hello, Willie Bob. And he goes, hello. They go, well, Willie Bob, what is new on the, what's the latest estimate on the date now of the, the age of the universe, now that the Hubble telescope has been refitted. And you, Bill Bob go, or, you know, Willie Bob goes, well, I'm glad you asked that, doctor. You know, anyway, so I thought maybe I should say it, comedy act. <laughs> There's another one of my questions, besides the one shoe in the road, is why are all ventriloquist acts comedy acts? All singers are not comedy singers. Some people specialize in comedy songs, but not everybody's Weird Al Yankovic. Pavarotti very seldom does a Weird Al song. Not all gymnasts. In the circus, some tumbling acts are humorous, but they specialize in humor. But I have seen tumbling acts that were dead serious. But you never see a ventriloquist act that is not a comedy act. <laughs> Boy, that didn't have anything to do with anything, did it? <laughs> Don't fool yourself. Don't fool yourself. But anyway, it's a comedy act. As you know, a ventriloquist act, the whole point of having a dummy and the guy learning how to talk down in his throat with a minimum amount of lip movement to give the impression that's two people. But here's what happens with thoughts. Here's what happens in that area of the brain that produces what ordinary people call consciousness. The frontal lobes, the general cerebral cortex. As a ventriloquist says something, ah, bah, 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 bah. now he's posed, poised, because he knows what's going to happen. 
and now he's ready, and he does the dummy. He moves his little, you know, the mechanism in his head, and he makes his lips move, and then he speaks for the dummy. But here's what happens. He instantly, truly, this is not metaphor, he instantly, look at you, what goes on. This is the simplicity. He instantly, and need I say totally, instantly and totally forgets that it's him doing it. He has jumped from being him into the dummy. It's worse than that. He's turned into the dummy. And it doesn't do a lot of good, I don't think anymore, for me to say, well, it's the illusion that it happened. It happened. When you say, ah, I was asleep. Well, you're asleep right then. I know what you mean. And as I said, I was as dumb. And I mean that in quotation marks. Uh, for more years... You know, then you should be. You instantly turn in to what you think you're observing. Or what you're observing has now turned into what believes it's observing it. Or, can I try it even blunter? There's only one stream in which thought takes place, in which consciousness takes place, in which you exist as a so-called conscious individual, of you knowing, well, it's me. For better or worse, I know I'm me. This is me, I'm conscious, I'm out of bed, my eyes are awake, I can think, whether it's under my control, but I am conscious, this is me. There is a single stream in which that works. And presently, I just prefer calling it thought, because it covers everything. There's thoughts going in on in you now, and those thoughts represent, to an ordinary person, to everybody, that represents you. We know that that's your body, and those are your feet, and your ears, and everything else. But that is you, those thoughts. And it's only one stream. There's nothing but those thoughts. There's not you in there. Those thoughts can become you. Those thoughts can turn from whatever they're thinking into thinking, I'm me. That is, I'm you. I'm I. But all thoughts can do is swap from one thought to another. They can think about apples, and then they can think about kumquats. And when they think about kumquats, they forget that they were thinking about apples, or they forget was apples thinking about kumquats. Don't get me started. <laughs> Let me see if I can at least finish them. If I'd shut up, I could read them. But when thoughts turn their attention to themselves, they instantly and unwittingly fall into a delusion, a delusion in which they do seem to be looking at themselves. Psychiatrists believe they are, neurologists. Of course, they believe they're doing it by looking at statistics regarding other people. Yes, I'm studying thought. Bring me some more figures in here. Bring me the latest polling results. But they do seem to be looking at themselves. But the delusion consists in thoughts now creating and accepting the impression that there is someone in them, someone in the head, that's now thinking them. When it's them thinking that there's somebody thinking me. It's the ventriloquist now doing the dummy's part, but every time he does, he becomes the dummy. But then if we could jump into the dummy's head and go, what is this, uh, are, you, are you all there is? Or is there a ventriloquist? Then he goes, oh, there's a ventriloquist doing it. Then the ventriloquist went from being, or his thoughts went from being dummy thoughts to being ventriloquist thoughts. And you go, but you are separate. Well, yeah, I'm, if I, I couldn't talk about it. I couldn't point this out if I weren't separate. There is no logical <laughs> defense to that. 
That's why this stuff can't really be described. That's why I've, it's taken me 40 years. You know, two storage bins full of writing. To point out, this cannot be described. Of course, first off, I had to realize that myself. Well, are you through? That's why I looked at this storage room when I had to move from one house to another. And I looked at it. I thought, do you want to go back and read all that? Oh, no, no. But, but do, you think, do you think that's sufficient? Do you understand what's going on? I went, yeah, I give up. When you first see this, that is, that thoughts simply create the impression that someone's thinking them when they try and think about themselves. Because they have to go, well, let's see, what do I understand about thoughts? Right there is being asleep. Now, I don't care whether it's a psychiatrist or Buddha or Zoroaster. He goes, well, let's see, after a lifetime now, exactly what do I understand about being enlightened? Well, nothing. <laughs> you wouldn't be doing that. When you first see this, you're tempted to say to yourself, you can't have it both ways. Except when you say that, you are right then having it both ways. Yeah, that's enough. It just goes on that same sort of vein. Yeah. Well, here's what you're missing. Page five, the headline is, here is the mystic's migraine. So, I'm sure that'll come in handy. <laughs> I'll start there next time. That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at jancox.com where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest or just leave us a message.